always brought on anxiety to look a certain way, to earn a certain amount, thinking in our heads through a date, am I interesting enough? Am I engaging in the right way? How do I compare to the other people that they're dating? But dating in the current time with COVID adds a whole nother layer of the challenges that we can experience in connecting. So our anxiety may be up. Thoughts about, oh my gosh, I might be alone for forever may be up. So I want to give you the opportunity to listen to two men who are talking completely raw about their experience and how they're currently dating. And I want you to remember, if you are in the dating world or you're in a relationship, that you want to be your authentic you. I think so many of us feel this pressure that I need to be who my partner wants me to be, but that is not a long-term game. We can't keep this up. Eventually, the relationship will fall apart. It, we are not able to last being in somebody else's shoes. We can't always put on this different mask or try to guess what our partner wants us to be. So my advice to you is on the first date or in your current relationship, really hone in on who you are, who what your likes are, what you like to do. Really hone in on that and share them. If the person sitting across the table on your date doesn't like that, well, then you've really saved yourself a heartache. So now we're going to talk to our first guest, and he is going to tell you all about his experience in dating during the COVID times. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Melinda in Miami. Today, we have what we like to call Melinda's side bag. So I'm going to be interviewing my guest here, Stephen, and he's going to be talking to you all about dating during COVID. And if you've listened before, I interviewed another woman at the beginning of COVID. Well, from March now to September, let's see how dating during COVID has changed. Stephen, single man here in Miami, tell me about your current dating practices. There are none. That's the thing. And so I've been like asking my friends and actually friends who I know that are actually dating. I'm like, okay, what are you doing? Because like, I'm sort of a thoughtful guy. And, and the first thing I think about are logistics. What are the logistics? And so I've read think pieces. I've, you know, talked to people. Wait, wait. So where are you reading? Where am I reading? Yeah. Where are you finding this dating material to read? I, I, Modern Romance and, and, you know, New York Times like has this, you know, a, a session. I've seen people like talking about it too. Um, I can't remember where I picked it up, but I think that the al the social media, you know, algorithms, they're like, all right, this dude's single, like, let's throw some stuff at him. Um, and, and I've also talked to friends who are doing, you know, the online dating thing right now. What's, and I think what's funny is that I think before the pandemic, I'd be totally open to online dating or doing anything like that. And then since the pandemic started, I'm like, the logistics are weird. I don't necessarily want to just like be on there with everybody else who's like stuck at home. It's just... So I'm not about it. So instead, I'm in this sort of weird stasis where I'm like, I'm not entirely sure what I want. Do I want to get in or do I want to get out? Tell me the parameters of online dating. Are we talking like dating apps? Are we talking Zoom dates? Okay, what are cool. you doing? Yeah, one of my friends, um, she's a girl. She, she's actually doing it right now. She's on Bumble. She's on all these different sites. And I was like, you know, I would totally do that under normal circumstances because it's it's super easy, right? It's like you meet somebody and then you don't spend a whole lot of time talking and then you can go out to a bar. And Miami is such a great and easy place to do this because there's so much stuff to do. Uh, and I should say too that we're lucky and that there's still a lot of things that you can do outside 
all these other things. Um, but I, I don't want to do the Zoom dating. Why don't you want to do Zoom? So, I mean, for those of us who are knowledge workers, who spend a lot of our time on Zoom, it can feel a lot like work. So I'm in a very, like, people-centric role where I'm always connecting people and it's all about information and relationship building. And I think that I've always found it more fun if through my normal daily life, maybe I'm at a yoga studio or something like you see somebody, you think they're attractive or you're in a friend's group. These people have been vetted before. So that was sort of my feeling about, you know, dating apps before the pandemic to like, let's say that you do want to get physical. Like here's my uh, certificate of, you know, negative tests uh, on, you know, I've been, you know, screened for, you know, STIs, but I, Hey, look, here's my negative COVID test too. Like, let's get together. And I think that, you know, the pandemic places a lot of, you know, new and unique circumstances on pretty much every daily life and in professional life. And for me, for whatever reason, like I've just decided like, man, I want to kind of like look at this one from the sidelines. What's it like? And they're like, well, it's kind of a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you bring up, Hey, are you clear of STIs? and COVID, right? right? So it's almost kind of like, are, are you clean and are you clean of COVID? Yeah. You know, when I asked my Instagram viewers, how are they dating? One of the biggest ways that was coming up was the app Hinge. And I think this is like a really interesting app because if you know their tagline, it's all about the dating app that's meant to be uh, deleted. So a lot of people during COVID are choosing this app. Mm -hmm. Well, it just makes me think, are, are people during COVID then like putting, hey, it's more of a risk for me to go out to meet you. Like that means I want something more serious with yeah. you. You know, where Tinder, we would reach out, hey, meet me at 2 a.m., and we kind of know what that meant. But it seems like people nowadays are possibly, if I'm going to leave, I am really invested in you. Like, I maybe want something more serious. You know, for, for living in Miami, we can, that's like, dating in Miami is an entirely different conversation. But <laughs> if you talk to anybody in any major metropolitan area, they're going to tell you that dating in their city is the worst thing ever. But I will say that Miami is unique for a lot of different reasons. Wait, wait, wait. Why do you, why do you think Miami is so unique and so challenging in dating? I mean, I'll tell you one thing, like as, as a male, like, you know, if you're, if you're walking around downtown Seattle, um, everybody's like in this, like, you know, Pacific Northwest like dark clothing or whatever. If you're walking around Miami, there are sexy people <laughs> fucking everywhere. Like it's like, <laughs> ridiculous. So like if you're a red blooded, you know, American, you hit the gym or whatever, like you can't get a coffee, you know, in the morning before you like run into 10 people who you like to have sex with. Like, and it's just like what you see on the street. So, so I, I wonder if Miami people are just hornier all the time. I, I mean, Here's one person who can say that. And I've talked to actually a couple female friends who they've said as much as they're like, look, you know, I had like this regular thing with this guy, but he's like talking about traveling internationally. It makes me feel very uncomfortable and I don't know where he's been. And so like we're kind of on a hiatus or whatever. I think that in a time of relative uncertainty, it's unsurprising that people would flock towards certainty. So I think that that's one thing already. And then two, just again, you know, like for myself, if you think about the logistics, I literally just don't want to mess with it. I don't like, unless it's somebody I would, you know, trust or whatever. And even if this was for something casual, I think that that would be a boundary that I would set. Uh, if not for myself, then for others, uh, whether I think about wading into the dating pool right now. You know, you mentioned so much of our lives have gone on to Zoom. And then sometimes we associate, oh, I don't want to be on Zoom anymore. It's like work. So then it's very easy for us to associate dating with work. Did you ever do the Zoom online dating? Because when I did my first interview, that is how the women were um, 
meeting people. They had a lot of Zoom dates lined up. Is that something that you were doing or not as much? You know, whether it's Zoom fatigue or not, I think that what I'd much more like to do is I'm a very outdoor and active person, and I spend a lot of time in the water here in Miami. Uh, and it takes, by the way, a special kind of person who's willing to put up with water sports. It may sound like something really easy, but it's actually not. Um, and so I think I'd be much more open to like, I'd rather have a paddleboard session. I'd rather go to the beach and socially distance. I'd rather go to the park. Um, I'd rather, you know, I don't know, you can scuba dive. <laughs> like literally there, I, I'd rather do things, you can't talk, but, and then people that I've talked to, the feedback that I've gotten is they're just like, wow, that was really fucking awkward. Um, you know, we both had our, our glasses. Um, so I haven't had anybody, but I'm agnostic. Like I haven't had anybody, you know, say anything really positive, but I, it's, I guarantee it's working for some people. It's just, I can't explain fully why it's not something I want to do. If you listen to my first interview, um, our guest then, she was going on like six Zoom dates. That's work. <laughs> Schedules. It's in her so, calendar and her Zoom meeting. Yeah. So, you know, so we're like, seeing like individual preference here. Yeah. To come around this interview, is there anything that you'd want to tell our viewers about your experience, maybe some of the mistakes you've made or some of the things that work for you during the dating, during quarantine? And so I had my head in the sand for like the first, you know, five months of COVID. So I literally just come out of my little hiding hole after finishing this degree. And I'm like, shit, I want to fuck. Now what? Because I had hoped, you know, like in listening to all these horror stories about, you know, the pandemic and dating, all these other things. I was like, well, you know what? Surely we're going to have our act together. And like, you know, later this summer, like maybe we'll get a handle of it. And we're just not there. And now that I'm like have a little bit more free time and I'm staring down the gauntlet of, you know, having free time and being single. Uh, that's when I'm now starting to talk to my friends a little bit more seriously about like, Hey, can you share some Intel? Like, how are you going about this? And the thing that I'm encouraged about is that ever, first of all, everybody's pretty honest. They're like, I don't know. You know, we always talk about like destigmatizing just about anything. The more times you hear somebody talking about a process, the less afraid you are. Well, keep us posted on your tips. Thank you so much for being so raw and open. And thank you listeners for tuning in. Check us out on the podcast every week, a new episode of Melinda in Miami. Stay Thank safe, you, everybody. Now it's time for us to talk to our second guest and how he is dating in the LGBT community. So thank you so much, Alex, for coming on the show today, um, introducing you to our audience. You're a third-year med student, um, and you were dating in Chicago. Now you currently live in Detroit. Um, so I want to jump right in and hear your perspective on being a gay male in Chicago and Detroit and the dating world. So the dating world, I guess, in the LGBT community is a little bit different um, in a couple ways, just because, you know, people tend to say the LGBT community, specifically gay males, tend to be a little more promiscuous, which I wouldn't necessarily agree with. I would say that there's it's a little more prevalent and a little more outspoken when people are on the more promiscuous side. However, I wouldn't say that that is a 100% accurate representation because I have many friends who also really prefer long-term monogamous relationships and really do want to settle down with one partner. However, there is also that strong outspoken polyamorous or community that really isn't interested in relationship and really just is interested in that hookup culture, which is perfectly acceptable. 
I just think um, it being more vocal, it tends to be more like the spotlight's more on it rather than like, you know, the stereotypical heterosexual community where everyone is just like, oh, I want that white picket fence. I want 2.1 children. I want one girl, one boy, two years apart. Like where, you know, society's kind of laid out what it is to be in a relationship where, you know, there really are no set um, standards when it comes to the gay community. Interesting. So how do people kind of lay that out? Because you're saying some, you know, some people are going to monogamy, some people are going to open. Is this a conversation that you would have in the dating process? So for me personally, um, when I started out, Like when I first came out, it was really challenging. Um, I definitely, like most people when they first come out, tend to be a little more on the promiscuous side, sleep around, you know, kind of like get all that uh, pent up sexual frustration and that like, you know, closet you out into the real world. So you kind of feel like you were lacking for quite uh, some time. So it just kind of all rushes out at once. I wouldn't say that's necessarily healthy, but I'd say it's, you know, something I've seen with myself and with a bunch of my friends when we first came out. Um, But the longer that I've been in the dating pool, the more I've been upfront with people on what it is that I want. And if, you know, like, do our goals align? And, you know, if they're really only interested in a hookup, if that's something I'm looking for at the time, great. Usually not so much, especially more recently. Um, And I think, you know, just like, you know, in the hetero community, getting consent, I think it's important to consent to a relationship and what that relationship should mean for each of you. It's such a good point. You're right. So what, what, how would that conversation go? Like that consent, what would it look like? What would people say? You know, because consent has become much more vocal and upfront. So what Mm -hmm. would, What did that look like for your experience? So for me, it's definitely um, something I even started doing in the last couple, like last two years. Um, Just for quick reference, I've been out and like in the dating pool for about like seven or eight years now. Um, But even more recently, I kind of tell people even before we first meet up, like if like we connected on Tinder or Grindr or wherever, you're even in person. I kind of like lay it like, hey, I'm not going to be physical with you for the first three dates. And people are always like, I don't think I've had someone who wasn't shocked by that yet. Most people are like, wait, why not? And it's just like, well, I'd like to actually get to know you and know what it is you're about and be able to have some sort of trust before I enter into a physical relationship with you. So that pressure is really, really there. Can you touch a little bit on like all the pressures that, you know, you experience or that you see your friends experiencing in the dating world? So, I mean, I guess we could start with uh, Grindr in general. And I guess if we bring up Grindr, we're going to have to talk about how, at least in my perspective, how Grindr is kind of... um, somewhat of a twisted real life video game that somewhat exploits, you know, your a normal natural dopamine like 
pleasure pathways, right? That actually are linked to addiction. So when you go on Grinder, it's like you just see all these wonderful six pack, eight pack Adonis like yeah. torsos. Yes, and we just- fantasize over them, right? Like, oh, this person's so wonderful. They're so sexy. I think we developed this whole fantasy in our head. Absolutely. And then even if they have no face pick, then you kind of in the back of your mind are like, ooh, what do they look like? And you don't even need to know what they look like because then you can fill in that fantasy for yourself. So are a lot of the pictures on, on Grindr, are they faceless? Are a lot of people like really highlighting the torso? I mean, I'd say no, you, when you, it depends on the city. So like currently in Detroit, a lot of more people highlight their face. And, you know, I think that's probably better, especially so, like, you know, you can look at them more as a person instead of as an object, right? So in Chicago, depending on the area, too, um, it's just like I remember going on and probably at least a third of the photos are just torsos. You go on and it's just like torso, torso, torso. Wow. But it makes me think like, right, usually in a dating profile, we're putting our best foot forward, right? Like we want this person to be attracted. So we're only saying the good things. So when you don't have your face, it makes me think that this person is really, really valuing their physical appearance over maybe their core self. I would agree. And I'd say that's kind of prevalent in the gay community, but that's also why gay men are probably more likely to have an eating disorder, right? Um, so I don't know, like, with the eating disorders, it's like um, a fourth of um, eating disorders are men, right? However, when you go into like the psych background, how many people are actually being treated for an eating disorder, it's one in 10 are men. So there's this large disparity of who's receiving treatment versus who's actually like diagnosed with an eating disorder. Well, yeah, we never think about when we think eating disorders, we typically think women. When we look at the eating disorders around the U.S., like I know even here in Miami, we don't have a male eating disorder clinic. We have multiple for women. Mm-hmm. You, right, exactly. So they're really not getting that. But I'm even thinking too, it seems like there's just a lot of pressure on men to have this eight pack. And in order to have that body, like all, all, all that comes into that, you know, that mindset, the emotions with it, the restriction, the anxiety. Yeah, I would definitely agree that a lot of it is internal, but also like we were talking about these like faceless torsos. I, this is like legitimately a common phrase, no fats, no femmes. Like people literally put that on their profile. No fats, no thumbs. I want like a gym fit. I work out. You should too. All sorts of like crazy things. Like you can be thin and gay fat is another thing I've heard. And it's like, what the hell does that mean? You can be thin, but gay fat. And what, what is that? What, what, what does that even mean? Exactly. And it's like, people don't even know what this means. No one has any standardization, but you know, the mind is a kind of a dangerous place where it's like, if it's left alone for too long, it will kind of self-destruct. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think so many people think, you know, they hear these things and think, oh my God, am I gay fat? (laughs) Wow. So this is like one of the extreme pressures that you're seeing in your experience, but also the people around you. Is this something that was more in Chicago, more in Detroit? 
I would say Detroit's a little like healthier because I don't think it is such a large gay community where, you know, you have celebrities like I don't, how many gay celebrities are in Detroit? I can't think of any. Right. But you like go to Chicago and it's like there's famous drag queens that live there. There's famous porn stars that live there. Like one of my um, friends lives in the building and his downstairs neighbor is a famous porn star. Like. And it's just like, here, these are the people that you're literally walking around next to every day. You go down the block to the, like, you know, local gay bar on, in Boys Town. And here you are seeing, like, go-go dancers who's literally, it's their job to look perfect. And here you are, you know, you're working your 60-hour-a-day sedentary job. And it's like, even if you were to go home and work out to exhaustion for two hours every night, it's like the likelihood that you're going to be able to get that body it's pretty slim. It's so genetic, right? Like what, what our what our body looks like. But what you're really saying is that there's this immense amount of pressure to be so, so, so thin. But then I'm also thinking, because I talk a lot about roles in relationships mm-hmm. and you know what we do. So I'm thinking about some of the terms that I've I've also heard and worked with of how our body shape identifies who we are in the relationship. So going back to the idea of you're a bear or he's a bear, he's the bear. You know, can you tell me a little bit about the history of, you know, just really having what your body style is to identifying you in that role in the relationship? So, I mean, I don't really know a lot about the history, um, you know, because like twink, some people say it's like you're young, blonde and cream filled like a Twinkie. Other people like say, you know, oh, it's just like you're scrawny young guy. Then there's the twunk, which is like the, between a twink and a hunk. And then there's like the wolf and the bear and like bear is basically like a larger, hairier guy who's a little bit probably on the older side. And then there's a cub, which, you know, is like a baby bear. So like a little bit smaller or younger, but going to become a bear if he puts on a little more weight or gets older. Um, And there's all these different roles. And what I find so interesting is depending on the bar you go to, it caters to a different clientele. (laughs) so you can like literally um there's a couple bars in chicago where it's like oh yeah that's the bear bar like everyone knows oh yeah that's where all the bears hang out or like oh yeah that's the like twink bar that like takes uh fake ids so like you're gonna find people who are under 21 at that bar it's (laughs) we kind of self-segregate based on our body image Wow. Right. Like I I completely hear that. And then that goes into just the role in the relationship. That's so interesting. So how, how do people emotionally respond to this? Because I can imagine, you know, we have these roles and I think everywhere you kind of put these labels on yourself or other people put labels on you, but are you see what mental health challenges are you seeing in the community? So for me, um, Definitely there was a like long stint of anxiety and depression, which ended up like coming out sideways. And I actually became severely anorexic for a while. Um, And it wasn't necessarily because I was like wanting to be thin because honestly, like I kind of idealized that six pack body. um, And, but the thought of being called fat is just like, I I don't even know how to describe it. It's like, there's like almost nothing worse 
that I could think of in that kind of community. It's like no one looks down upon if you're sleeping around. No one looks down if you have an STD because like, you know, the whole HIV crisis, like it was pretty common. So like STDs aren't really looked down upon in the gay community that much anymore that I would say. Um, There's not judgment on, you know, if you're sleeping around, it's kind of like, oh, wow, good for you. Like it's kind of almost celebrated. So it's like what's, what's left is just your image. So the thought of being called fat just like makes you not want to eat. And then it's almost like a slippery slope. And I would say um, just like grinder being an addiction, I'd say like an eating disorder is somewhat of an addiction because the less you eat, the more reward you get. And it gets to the point where you look your, look at yourself in the mirror and go, I need to keep losing weight, even though you're already 40, 50 pounds underweight. And when we think about eating disorders, you're right, it, it does become an addiction and we really start to praise ourselves on, on that restriction. And it also has a foundational factor of control. Like this is a piece of my life that I feel I can control. And you mm. mentioned that w- when you first came out, you know, you developed this disordered eating. Do you think, or from your own experience or your friends, like any piece of it was this idea of control, like I'm making, I'm, I'm coming out. And I'm really feeling like I'm having this piece of control in my life. So I would say like the eating disorder really started, um, like I was out for two and a half years before I came out to my dad. Um, Coming out to my dad was really hard. And that's when I kind of needed that control in my life. Um, Just like, you know, feeling completely rejected from your family, not knowing where you stand with that side of the family. Um, It's really difficult. So, yeah, I would definitely say that's where it really started was that. And then um, feeling like you didn't have that, you know, financial support to fall back on if like worst comes to worst. So then it gets to the point where it's like there's so many other confounding factors like, can I even afford food? So why would I even bother spending money on it? And then it just like kind of can also like for me, it spiraled to the point where I questioned if I was worth the food I would eat. Like, so I guess the easiest way to put it is like, you know, there's so much energy that goes into food, you know, meat, the methane production, all of this, like it's polluting our environment. All we hear about is like the forest fires, the ice caps melting. And it's like production of food is one of our biggest pollutants. So it's like, am I even worth the food I eat? They can get that far. So it's just like, I could say the community kind of propagates the start of these issues, but there's a lot more internal issues that kind of snowball to get to that point. You bring up the community and the pressures and the culture of the community, bringing up some of these underlying issues. Did you ever experience them before you came out? Mm, I mean, personally, no. Did I see it in friends? Yes. Um, Especially like some heterosexual friends just, um, you know, trying to get that perfect body or like wrestling with the weight classes. Like, oh, I need to starve myself to get to this weight class, but also be as bulky as I can be to get as close to that line as I can. So it's like, it's in sports, it's in mass media, it's in the LGBT community. It just comes out in different ways, I'd say. So how did you work through this or what messages would you say to somebody in a similar position going through some of the same challenges that you went through? How did you work through it? What, what advice would you give them? 
I'd say definitely try to see if you can find yourself an eating sort of clinic um, or just like any sort of um, psychiatric help, whether that be an actual psychiatrist, psychologist, therapist, anyone. Um, I don't think it's something that's easy to work through alone. Um, for me, I'd also recommend like finding a psych is kind of like dating sometimes like certain psychs really vibe with you. Others don't. For me, I kind of struggled because some of the psychs I would see like, were like, Oh, the, your whole eating disorder is solely based on you being gay. And I'm like, there's so many other things that they refuse to look at because they saw me as gay. So there's even that distrust in medicine. And like I said, it's kind of like dating. You need to just keep going to a different psych until you find the one that works for you. But the problem with that is it's also extremely expensive, you know, $250 for a single appointment with a psych. And then you need to go through a couple to find one that helps you. So you're right. And it, it is a little bit like dating. And I feel that with my clients too, because to find the right person and to actually make some of those real strides that you're looking for, it's finding somebody that you jive with. And right. we don't always get that. And I think some people get really discouraged whether it's financial based or like, Hey, it's really vulnerable telling my story to somebody and kind of getting response like, Oh, it's because you're gay. Well, yeah. it, there are many parts to me, right? Yeah. I'm not defined <laughs> by one thing. So oh. I, I really like how you bring, how you bring that up. What about support groups? Like where are support groups? Maybe some that are run by a therapist or also what are just supportive places that people can turn to? I mean, for me, definitely friends, right? Um, people who truly know you, who care about you, who aren't going to judge you. And that can sometimes be hard to find. Um, but, you know, when you find a true friend, even if they are, you know, a couple hundred miles away, like it's, we have telephones now, we can give someone a call. I think talking to people and being honest with yourself, I think would be one of the most important things um, for me. I refused to acknowledge that I had an eating disorder, even though I'm 5'11 and used to weigh 119 pounds. Like, this is not supposed to be your weight, right? So, and, but the fact that you, you know, reflecting within and knowing when to ask for help, or even if you can see the problem before it starts and working through those issues before they spiral out of control. Um, you think about like dating during this process. So when we're having a lot of these internal issues, sometimes we throw ourselves into sex or relationships or anything external that can make us feel better about ourselves, right? Like make us feel less or less anxious on the inside. What do you think? Right. Um, I mean, this is where personally, when I'm having issues like that, I take myself, like I delete all my social media, I stay, I used to stay away from it just because seeing those images and, you know, the thought of dating is just so challenging because it's like, I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. So why would I, you know, subject other people to that? I kind of like, I like to say I have dying dog syndrome, you know, like when your dog is dying, it kind of crawls under the porch and gets really angry and doesn't want anyone to be around it. Um, I know like what you said though, um, people tend to throw themselves at others. 
I'd say that kind of is more like a Band-Aid, right? You know, you're just like putting something on a bleeding wound and it's like, okay, I'm not going to see the blood coming out, but it's still coming. And it's just like, you're going to have to mop it up at some point. So you might as well start sooner rather than later. You're right. And I, I do, I love how you kind of say taking ourselves away from the social media, whether it's Grindr, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, because we really do fantasize about what the person on the other side is doing. And we always like humanistically start to compare. And whenever we compare, we always put ourselves beneath and that is not helpful or motivating for really getting back into who we are. So pushing some of these external pressures away and focusing on who am I at at my core self and what are all the different parts that make me and I think that starts with just asking yourself questions and trying different experiences like developing different hobbies and doing different things that maybe you wouldn't do and just exploring your internal self is really important really important and when you find these hobbies too and things that you enjoy you're going to meet friends along the way you're going to meet people who who have similar experiences experiences or even better people who have different experiences that will push you who will push you to grow and become the best version of yourself that you can possibly be well thank you so much today um for being so raw and open about yourself alex i think is amazing i think every time we're super raw and open we grow as a person like it really shows and highlights our strength so i thank you so much and for all the information that you've shared today and you know some of the places that people if they're experiencing your same challenge you know where they can turn to some of the things that they can do to work through this time you know it, it is temporary and there are things we can do to take ourselves out of those painful emotions yeah thank you for the opportunity i appreciate it thank you so both of my guests talk about the complexities of dating through a dating app and i am all for meeting people on a dating app but sometimes we don't get the full picture of that person. And like I said before, we can begin to fantasize. We hear one of our guests really saying how dating over an app, trying to date on Zoom is really stressful for him and he would just rather give up and go do something else. So this is where, how do we date safely? Well, dating safely during the COVID times would be wearing the mask, keeping your social distance and you know, getting to know somebody from afar. There's a lot to be said for social distance dating. All the pressure of, is somebody gonna kiss me or do I have to go home with them? They're gone. So now you can have this social distance date and it's all based on communication. This is where you really get to know somebody. Thank you all for tuning in to Melinda in Miami. And like always, I love to hear from my viewers. So please send me all your sexy questions. You can DM me on Instagram at therapy with Melinda or go to my website, insight-miami.com and fill out my form. You can get all the links in the bio below. And stay tuned for next Monday, we'll have a new episode. Until then, go out and have great sex.